0: The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT21 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys and I'm a college professor.
1: My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a CPA and I am a mom of three girls.
2: And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm the father to three
0: teenagers and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. Happy New Year, everybody. It is book review week here on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. We're going to be talking about Brad Stolberg's The Practice of Groundedness, a transformative path to success that feeds not crushes your soul. Uh, It was our book of the quarter here for the last quarter. um, And we're going to spend the bulk of our time today talking about that. Before we do, Happy New Year to the two of you. Let's go around the horn real quick. Eric, what's up with you, man? Wow, it's
2: been a, you know, we've had two weeks for things to be up. So you know it. I've got sort of three things that have been going on. Uh, First thing is I just returned the, uh, Merrill MTL long skies, uh, back to where I purchased them because I, I don't
0: like that shoe. <laughs> and, um, I have yeah. a really good reason for Ret- like. re- returning a pair of shoes is a big deal as a piece of news for, for this crowd. Right. right.
2: <laughs> I actually thought, you know what, I can just keep these and just wear them around. And I was like, no, I bought these for a specific purpose to be a, a meeting the long run off road shoe. And they just don't do it. Um, it's something about the way, so it's a full sock shoe, you know, it doesn't really have a tongue. And because of when you, because of the way the forefoot's a little wider than I think it should be to fit my foot, and when you, when you bring this, the laces in, it creases under the, the, the forward lace, the, the one that goes straight across the shoe. And that just started digging into the top of my foot. Yeah, so okay. I, I did a, I did a 10 mile run in those and miles seven, eight, nine, and 10, I just, I just started getting angry. And I don't want to be angry while I'm running because that's kind of my release. And I said, nope, these are going back to the store because there's it's, it's, a, it's a design flaw. I, I honestly think it's a design flaw. So other than that, I mean, they're an okay shoe. So if your foot's really wide up front or you don't want a tight shoe, it's probably your shoe, just not my shoe. So that would be number one. Um, that's number two. Number two. And thank you, George, for reminding me this because I wasn't going to talk about this originally, was did my first uh, Zwift Racing League race last night. Um, I was so excited. I was all set up, ready to go, dressed at 6.30. And the race was <laughs> For actually, a 7.30 race? Um, 7.30. <laughs> and actually, I was down there before 6 because I was going to do a warm-up um, or up there. Uh, my, my attic was about 37 degrees, which ended up being optimal temperature for my team, because of the five riders on my team, I finished first. I was so excited. I was able to hang with the front runners uh, pretty much for the first time ever on Zwift, Uh, finished ninth out of 70, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt in control kind of the whole time. Like I wasn't really, I didn't blow up. I didn't, you know, I, it just, I think all the, the training kind of last week, Um, with the uh, uh, Watopia series got me set up for it. And it Mm -hmm. just, things went well. Technology worked, the shoes worked. You know, we had one guy drop out because his power meter bonked on him. One guy dropped out or he lost his uh, heart rate monitor during it. Mm -hmm. None of that stuff happened to me. So it was just, it it was awesome. I I really, and I got to do it with two good friends, you know, and then two guys who I've never met before. One guy's in Minneapolis, the other guy's in Texas. Mm
0: -hmm. I think that's just so cool. That, 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 that's the way it works. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Very cool. I was, I was in the same race, but in a different section. And so I was racing at the same time as you were on the same course as you were, but you and I were not in the same race I had about 90 people in my section. Uh, you and I both did the B level race, which, uh, which, which is where we are currently placed based upon our power numbers. Um, and I finished, my goal was to, to finish with the front group. And the front group was 22 people and I finished 20th. So there you go. Um, you answered my, that was going to be my very next question was how many were in the front group? So it's 22, 22 and, and hanging with the front group took enough out of me that I didn't have a whole lot left to kick there at the finish. And, and that's just not my strength in, in running or in cycling.
2: So uh, for those of, for the listeners who don't understand what we're talking about, Zwift is a online cycling <laughs> like michelle maybe <laughs> online cycling app and it actually has like we know
1: when to dive in
2: <laughs> it has a world and it has a race series associated with it and it's it's pretty it's pretty cool and it's it's realistic enough that you do have to use real cycling tactics at times and what what george is mentioning was something i've learned over the past week and a half maybe is that it is significantly Easier to be in a pack of riders, um, and to stay in the front pack of riders can be sig- a significant challenge, for sure. <laughs> Especially on the course like last night, because two miles in there's a sprint, and four miles in there's another sprint, and there's three means- sprints in a row. Four miles in, yeah, oh, that was rough. Stretch the group mm-hmm. out, and yeah, and there are varying tactics, and mine is basically sprint. Through the finish for another twenty to thirty seconds, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I'm not fast enough to keep up with the guys. Yeah,
0: me neither. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I'll, I'll add a couple of quick things to what you said because because this is the third season that I've started doing with the uh, the Zwift Racing League. But Zwift has had plenty of races since their inception several years ago. But it was only last year that they actually started having their own specific Swift racing league, like, uh, the one big racing league in Zwift, um, brought to you by the makers of the platform. And it has 17,000 people are, are taking part in the various different competitions and the various levels. Um, and it is undoubtedly the most competitive races you'll also find on Zwift, um, by virtue of the fact that so many people do that. So, yeah. Um, the other thing I'll add is that I remember when I first raced a bike, um, way back in 2009, I kind of had in my head that it was going to, uh, be like a running race and that, you know, it kind of gets steadily harder throughout and all that sort of thing. And it's not that way at all. Um, cycling, you have to turn yourself inside out, maybe in like the second or third mile of the race, like super early on the race. And then things will kind of settle back in and you can kind of catch your breath. And then you have to completely go to the well again, maybe a few miles later, and then you back off some, it's not the way you run a race. Um, but that's the way that cycling works and it's, it right. just takes a completely different mindset. And then, sure. you know, this, this race only had one real Hill in it and it's not all that bad.
2: It's mm-hmm. a four minute Hill, but if you want to be three minutes and
0: 12 seconds, <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> you, you need to turn yourself inside out there as well. For sure. <laughs> For sure. And that was, that was the final selection, George. I was going to tell you that, uh, the group that I finished with was 10, um, and we did a final selection there where we broke it in half. We put mm-hmm. about 30 seconds, I think, on the oh, second great. 10. And as you said, you finished 20th of the 22. I finished 9th of the 10. But I think it's important to note that I think your, your time was within, it was about a minute faster than mine, right. which is, is appropriate. But it's also, that's who you were with. You know, mm-hmm. at times during our my ride, the guys are putting out nothing. We're, we're like coasting. Mm-hmm you know in the in the middle of the race you're just coasting because
0: everyone's trying to decide well who's going to set the pace and right. it's it's really interesting right. so for sure Now, cy- cycling racing and cycling is much different it's much more tactical um it's not like running at all um and i've always found that interesting uh what's your number three thing eric number three thing i just wanted to put a shout out to my new runner carrington uh, really
2: excited. She's uh, she's a great runner. I can tell. And, and like most of my runners during COVID, um, I've never met her. Uh, I was actually in the same store as she was, the Fleet Feet store up here. And we didn't realize the two of us were in the store. <laughs> I was saying hi to Melissa. And she, as I left, she said, wait a minute, I want to meet him. And so we haven't met yet, which is standard, I think, like I said, during COVID. But I'm just really excited. She's got a great attitude. She's training for her first 100 um, and she's also going to run a half and a 5k. We found a 5k George, um, to, to set some, to, you know, kind of set her training a little better. So yeah,
0: that's it. Those awesome. Very good. Very good. Michelle, what's up with you?
1: I'm living in the real world over here.
0: I don't have, uh, <laughs> as opposed to virtual, virtual
1: races or anything like that going on. Um, no, yeah, I got, uh, COVID about as close as it can get without actually being in my house, at least to my knowledge, uh, some kids back to Zoom school and just enjoying the uh, cold weather morning runs. So
0: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: take that, whatever puts my treadmill on swift from you and then I can join you guys is fun, but you got to run, not ride. An
0: iPad, <laughs> You all, all you need is an iPad. There you go. Um, I, I would be happy to let you borrow. My well, and iPad then is and not then, my yeah. iPad anymore. <laughs> well, and then you'd also have to do something that broadcasts from your treadmill to your iPad. So that's sort of starts to get a little bit trickier. But hey, that'd be fun. You and I could go for a virtual run together. You and I have done a couple of real life runs in real life runs over yeah. the course of the past couple of weeks, and they have been lovely and I have enjoyed them.
1: Thanks. Um,
0: so in addition, so may, yeah, maybe Yeah, you were
1: like five minutes late last time and I got nervous that I read the time <laughs> off. Maybe you weren't gonna show up and <laughs> Cause I could have should, to go by myself.
0: <laughs> you, you should talk to my friend, Eric, about me being late sometimes for runs. Cause that's something that's a subject he likes Is to bring up. Is this a normal thing? So no, <laughs> I was just, I was just notably late on one occasion. Um,
1: I know. I thought it was strange. I mean, I will say every minute goes by very slowly when you're just standing there in the parking lot wondering, like, is he going to come around the corner? My
2: bad. bad. It even goes by more slowly when you're supposed to be handing it off to the guy because it's a relay race. And (laughs) And it's (laughs) it's the middle of the
0: night in in rural North Carolina. Yes, (laughs) indeed. In the middle of the night.
1: That's fair. That's fair.
0: Hashtag Blue Ridge Relay 2018. Um, So perhaps I'm kind of astride the two of you because I am spending some time in the virtual world having done a workout on Zwift today, a running workout on Zwift today, having done a trainer road group workout this morning, having done the Zwift race last night. But then also over the weekend, I actually did an in real life uh, half marathon in Columbus, Georgia. Uh, It was one that I had heard about before. It's actually a free race. Um, You can pay for a T-shirt if you want it, but the town subsidizes it and it gets a pretty good turnout. Um, And uh, I went down there and ran it. It runs around their downtown around the sort of residential area around downtown and it goes way out the river walk right there along the river um, in Columbus that separates uh, uh, Alabama and Georgia. Um, And then you just kind of turn around and come back. Um, a lot of young people show up. The uh, race director has a connection with uh, one of the local cross-country teams and cross-country coaches, um, and and uh, so a lot of the top finishers tend to be younger. And so the top five finishers in this race were first place, age, second, age 17, second place, age 17, third place, age 47, fourth place, age 19, fifth place, age 18. Um, I, I'll, guess, I'll let you guess which one of those I was. <laughs>
1: Sorry. too difficult to choose Sorry. the right answer
0: so uh doing my part to bring up the average age of the podium right on um all right we're uh, we're doing something new here in 2022 we're just going to do a few quick hits i felt like one thing that happened so often in 2021 is that we would get to the end of the podcast and there's all these things that we had wanted to talk about, be they news or race results or pieces of research or new technology that was just released. And we just didn't really get to talk about it because we spend so much time discussing things and that's good and analyzing things. And that's good that we uh, we sometimes didn't mention some stuff that needed to be mentioned. And so we're going to, to experiment here in 2022 with uh, at the Outside of the podcast, after we go around the horn and hear what's going on in everybody's life, just doing a few quick hits, a few things in case you missed it. So, um, Eric, I think you got the first one, right? So on January
2: 6th at the uh, Spartanian 12-hour race in Tel Aviv, uh, Lithuanian Alexander Sorokin ran a blistering average of 631 uh, for 12 hours 631 uh, minutes per mile for 12 hours incredible uh, blowing out of the water his previous 100 mile world record uh, crossing the 100 miles in 1051 and a half i think it was 11 14 or 11 15. Ah. now he's 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 taken it down to 105139 to be exact for 100 miles um, and then he went on to uh, beat his previous 12 hour record um, of 106 miles with 110.23 miles. So in 12 hours he covered 110.23 miles, which is about 631 pace, 630, 631. So if you're a if you're an everyday runner running five Ks, that's like a 2010, 2012, um, 5K. He did that 35 times in a row. Yeah. That's and incredible. that's just Mind-boggling, and you know, a, a six thirty marathon. I'm not sure what that computes to, but he did four of those. Um, this is this is mind-boggling,
0: and yeah, that's my quick hit. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, yeah, a six thirty marathon would be about a two fifty. Uh, two fifty. Yeah, um, and uh, it's it's worth noting too that when they're when you're calculating that average pace. His moving pace was faster than that. That includes any amount of time that he was stopped, whether it was changing shoes or using the bathroom or whatever happens to be. That is a mind-blowingly fast pace that he threw down for 12 hours straight. So
1: and in a
2: mind-numbing manner, because he did it on a you know
0: 0.91 mile loop. Mm-hmm. For sure. Michelle
1: Um I'm sure many people saw, but Sarah Vaughn, who has been a professional runner for almost 15 years and who just won the California International Marathon, but was previously a primarily a middle distance runner, signed her first professional contract. She did have a brief stint with Adidas 15 years ago, but um, she has been looking for a sponsor. She has been vocal about wanting to have a sponsor. She also works full-time in real estate and has four children. And she signed with Puma and yeah. along with Sarah Vaughn, uh, Puma's picking up some of the top female American marathoners. So Annie Frisbee, who is 25, who most people saw leading the New York city marathon this past year, signed with them. Um, she ran 226 in New York. It was her debut marathon and now she's got a sponsor. And also look, Dakota Lindworm um, who ran also very visibly up front in Boston this past October, she also signed with Puma. So it really seems like Puma is going hardcore into road racing, distance running, um, three women. And of course they have their new uh, elite running group that's in Chapel Hill with Amy and Craig Alistair also. So I think we're going to see a lot more people wearing our shoes. (laughs) (laughs) This year. <laughs> <laughs> I like that
0: you call them our shoes, and like I've said, i said, that, that's what fires me up about it. Uh, and the reason why I'm glad that Michelle mentioned it is because this this signifies that Puma is is sticking around for at least a little while, which means that one of my favorite pairs of shoes from the last several years here will continue to be made at least in the short term. So,
1: yeah, and we talked about it briefly that faster fast R shoe that they've got coming out that's going to be their super shoe and. Of course, it was on these women's social media. So that's expected to arrive within the next month or two. So hopefully, uh, some of us, you know, lay people get a chance to try the carbon plated shoe from Puma sooner rather than later.
0: I hope so. I hope so um while we're talking about these sorts of pieces of news um and this is a little bit of a left turn um we talked in 2020 on this podcast i brought one of my fellow professors on um brandon lewis dr brandon lewis to talk about privilege um after the killing of ahmaud arbery um in february of 2020 um and um that of course was a a um Uh, a murder that got a lot of attention inside the endurance community because it was a guy out for a run and uh, three, uh, it was an African American guy out for a run and three white guys saw him, they thought that he was a criminal, Um, they pursued him with their trucks He tried to get away from them. They cornered him in and chased him back into the neighborhood that he was running in. Um, And ultimately, when he turned to confront him, uh, them, they shot and killed him. Um, There were three people involved, two of them, one truck um, and one of them in a third truck that was actually filming it. And it was the film, um, strangely enough, uh, that the third one made. Uh, that ultimately uh, led to the public outcry, the arrest of those three people, and then ultimately their conviction last year. Um, Well, I I recap all of that simply to mention that all three of those men were found guilty last year. Um, And just last week, uh, all three of them were sentenced to life in prison here in Georgia. Uh, Two of them, uh, the one who pulled the trigger and the one who was driving the car, um, the truck uh, where the guy pulled the trigger, Um, uh, both of them got life without parole. Um, And the third, the one who actually made the video, who was in a second truck, um, uh, he got life with the possibility of parole. Um, And so I wanted to kind of tie off the end of that, since that's something we had talked a little bit about on this podcast before as well. Eric, you tell us another one.
2: So Nick Willis, Um, those of you who don't know him, Nick Willis is a Kiwi. Uh, Back when he was 19 year old, 19 years old, he ran his first sub four-minute mile. And then for the next 19 years consecutively, uh, he has run a sub four-minute mile. Um, He's a a Tracksmith-sponsored athlete. And this year, he attempted to uh, do another sub four-minute mile at the stroke of midnight on the 1st of January. So uh, at his first opportunity would have been his uh, 20th year in a row doing this. However, he just missed the four-minute barrier running four minutes 0.22 seconds. Oof. Um, a couple, a couple notes of that, you know, I, I, first off amazing effort on his part. I actually think he had it in him. I think he could have done it. He had some, some help. Um, he had his, uh, his buddy, Hob Kessler, uh, leading him, leading him out at times. And then I think through the last lap, Hob Kessler was leading him out. And then, uh, Mason Furlick, who's a steeple chaser, um, who uh, let him out uh, for the actual first lap. And then it's uh, switched off to Luca Chatham. And I'm just going to mention it real quick. If it wasn't for Luca, I really think Nick would have made the four minute barrier. Um, for some reason on lap three, uh, he started falling behind Hob Kessler and just held up uh, Nick Willis. So again, that's why I think he could have done it. And I know he's going to do it. And I know he is uh, going to try again. Michelle, when was he going to try that again?
1: I think he announced he's going to run the Maker Mile at okay. the Melrose Games. So pretty soon.
2: Um, so pretty soon he's going to turn around, and I, I'm. I think it's a cool, uh, a cool thing. I, I really, I think he's got it in him, and I think after the Maker Mile, we're going to have. He's going to have his 20th year.
0: Yeah, yeah, the video is
1: great. I would look up the video if you haven't. It's pretty seven or eight minutes. And I agree.
0: Yeah. And they show the whole race in the video, but they also show his preparation and some of his talking afterwards and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's a super cool video to watch. And just, you know, to Eric's point about how close he was, um, it takes about 0. 0.4 seconds to blink um, and he missed it by 0. 0.22 seconds. <laughs> um and so so that's how close he was to actually becoming the first person ever to to run under four minutes for a mile 20 years in a row um pretty and cool his attitude was phenomenal
2: i think he knows I it i think he knows he's got it and he's going to get it he had a great attitude at the end of the race uh, smiles all around hugging his family yeah he just he seems like a yeah good 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 model for running i agree michelle
1: uh we had ustaf a national cross country championships this past weekend. Um, we watched the club championships in Tallahassee a few weeks ago, but this was the actual national championship and, um, it was held in San Diego. It was, uh, two kilometer loops. It was held, even though I don't know when the next, I guess the next time we'll see 2021 world cross country was, was canceled. And then Whatever. All I know, I think the next cross is 2023 for Worlds, but this was pretty cool. We saw um, Shadrach Chirchir just kind of come off the back end on the last loop and take the win. And uh, he was a 10,000 meter runner in 2016 and then has a few top 10 finishes at Worlds. And then he's really been missing for like the last year or two. I think uh, he had an injury and it really just a calf injury. And he didn't run for about seven months in the last two years. So um, essentially a rust buster for him, but he's walking away with the national title. And then on the women's side, uh, we saw... From On Athletics, Alicia Monson just kind of dominates. She went out with Wayney Kaladi, and they've really been going head-to-head for years now. Um, they dominated collegiate cross-country together, and we've seen them race on the track together. And I honestly had my money on Kaladi, but Alicia just, I mean, I think she ended up beating her by about seven seconds and then followed closely behind her. Um, a bunch of top runners in there. Molly Seidel came in eighth, and she said she's just starting a new training block and she did announce her spring race, and we'll talk about that in a second. So I think cross country is always fun to watch, throw the clocks out the window and just watch these people race hard, so.
0: I was gonna say, that's actually a good segue to talking about what Molly Seidel's next okay. race is. Okay,
1: so. <laughs> I'll go next. Go next. Um, okay, super exciting. Boston announced their is elite, elite women's field yesterday, and it's, it's crazy deep. Um, when I was looking at the list, it was actually just trying to figure out who is not on the list. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Molly had hinted a few, maybe a week or two ago, she posted this really ominous picture on her social accounts with her in the Sitgo sign beside behind her. Um, so she's going to go up against Sarah Hall and really, uh, Nell Rojas, who was the top American last year, who we didn't include this in what we were gonna say, but she actually just notched a deal with Adidas. So congratulations now, she's now an actual sponsored professional runner. Um, She's gonna be there also. And honestly, it's just about every American marathoner that you could think, I think the only names really missing were um, like Laura Thweet and Lindsay Flanagan, and then noticeably absent, you know, somebody like Emily Sisson, who we've seen dominate the marathon, but because the 10K trials for Worlds, which are being held in Eugene, Oregon, are so soon after Boston. I think the people that we've seen run the marathon that are still dabbling between the marathon and the 10K um, that are going to go for the 10K team, we're not likely to see them run a spring marathon because although I think there's enough time to turn around after Boston and run a good 10K, I don't think they have any time to actually train for the 10K if they're going to actually train for an April marathon. Uh, So it's going to be awesome. I'm really excited. So,
0: yeah. And in addition to uh, the folks that you mentioned, there are four Ethiopian women that have run under 220 for the marathon that are going to be there.
1: Well, yeah. Um, Not not to mention. Yeah. I'm only focusing on the American women. Yeah, I was going to say, but but you're leaving um, out
0: some pretty fast people there. It's (laughs) the
1: fastest marathoners currently in the world right now. I, I think. Just to be fair, there is no London in the spring, which is really. Um, for the women that want to run a world marathon major. Boston and London are competing for the pro fields. Who's going to pay more? London's not happening in the spring. And I think that just allowed Boston to to just load it up. So, Tokyo Tokyo maybe,
0: is scheduled to happen in the spring, but it's a question. Um, so I, I, how I many times has any,
1: Tokyo been canceled? No one's counting yeah, on Tokyo, George.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know all too well. I know from firsthand experience. So, so there, there's, there's, I think there's a good chance it'll get shifted to October again. Um, and, and I don't begrudge them that. And so, so I think that between that and the fact that Tokyo is so far away, um, that, uh, that, that more opted for, for Boston, uh, yeah. than Tokyo. Um, but yeah, the Olympic gold medalist Perez, Jeff's uh, from Kenya, um Jocelyn Jepkowski um who ran 217 last year which was the fastest time of the year for any woman um and so yeah if they're ever going to run fast in Boston let's hope this is the year let's hope for good weather
1: (laughs) yeah excited to watch
0: So for sure, I'm looking forward to it too. We'll see. Um, um, And then speaking of pros and what they're doing, very last one of our quick hits, very last one of the, in case you missed it, um, is to mention uh, the greatest male marathoner of all time, that of course being Elliot Kipchoge um, on Instagram posted that he is going to in fact be going for his third gold medal in the Olympic marathon in 2024. Um, He uh, is... Uh, backed, of course, by Ineos, um, the same team that put together the Enios 159 Challenge, where he became the first marathoner ever to run under uh, two hours for the marathon distance, even though it was under unsanctioned conditions. Um, and uh, we will see whether he can pull that off. Um, quick poll of the podcast here, and maybe as we get closer to it, we'll talk about it a little bit more. Uh, Eric, do you think that Elia Kipchoge can win his third straight Olympic gold medal in Paris in 2024? 100%. Michelle, what do you think?
1: Totally. I'm so excited. I think this just brings yeah. so much hype to the Paris 2024 marathon. And we're just starting 2022. So I'm excited to follow his trajectory between now and then.
0: Me too. Me too. Um, yeah, the, the the dominance that he showed in the 2020 Olympic marathon, which of course was held in 2021, uh, leaves no reason to believe that he can't win again in 2024. All right. All right. Let's talk about the main thing we're gonna talk about today here. Brad Stolberg's practice of groundedness. Michelle.
1: I think I, I think we should preface it by saying the three of us read this book kind of all at really different parts of our lives. I dove into it and had planned to dive into it after Boston. And for me, Boston was like, <laughs> a tragedy no I'm just kidding um it was it was just pretty devastating so when I picked up this book I felt like I was grasping at straws just about for anything um he starts the book and he defines this term heroic individualism and I feel like I like screenshotted and cropped it and sent it to both of you guys, but separately, because I wanted to see if you guys thought that sounded like me, because I felt like it sounded like me. And so I, I dove right in feeling like it, it really spoke to me. But yeah, how did, I mean,
0: we, how did we respond to that text? I don't remember.
1: George, I think you were skeptical. Like you, the, the whole time, I think you hesitated to really um, kind of like opine on anything until you got further into the book. Like, I think you kept feeling like you just, you hadn't gotten far enough to, to form an opinion or, you know, to give feedback, or maybe you didn't like what he was doing, but you hadn't gotten to the second part yet. Um, mm-hmm. And
0: I, I came around, I, I got off on the wrong foot with the book, I guess, would yeah. be the way to say it, um, that, that initially it really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, and, and I kind of figured that by the time we got to the end of it, I would see and appreciate its value. Um, and, and I think I did. Um, I think that's fair to say that, that it was good that I gave it time and, and I saw its value by the end, but that being said, I think what you just said about coming to it at a particular time, um, I, I have a lot of respect for that and can totally appreciate the fact that, that it hit you right when you needed to read it, Yeah, um, which I think is great. Um, so heroic individualism. Let's talk about that, because because that's like his commentary on what heroic individualism is, is kind of the departure point for the whole book. Um, And and basically, um, he said that it's it's all about holding yourself to these impossibly high standards um, and then constantly focusing on the gap between what those high standards are and where you are. Um, constantly fixating on where you should be um, according to these potentially impossibly high standards as opposed to where you actually are. Um, whatever you do, uh, whoever you are, it's not enough. Um, and as a result of that, folks who have this sort of ailment, this Western culture, heroic individualism ailment, uh, they never feel satisfied. Um, and they always, the point of guilt and shame, uh, feel that they should be working harder um, even though it's probably likely that they are exhausted because they're pulled in so many different directions. And so the result is this persistent feeling of unhappiness or burnout, um, or in the case of some people that he talked about, including himself, um, a catastrophe, a breakdown. Um, Michelle, do you think that's a, that describes you?
1: Um, I think, you know, it just describes the general way I've always kind of approached life. So I don't know. I think the part about this that people need to be careful with is that it doesn't mean that you're like this world class athlete or you're this like C level exec or anything it's literally like wherever you are at whatever point on your path you don't ever feel like it's enough like I should be doing X, Y and Z and I should be you know, I should, I'm here, but like, I should be there. So for everybody that those markers are going to look different, but it's like you internally, how you feel about yourself and kind of where you're holding in this life. And I felt like the part that spoke to me the most is um, just the guilt. And when he talked about guilt, like I feel a lot of guilt. I mean, I think most mother runners. I don't know. I don't usually use that term, but you know, it's always a toss up when we, when we get up early in the morning and we go out and by the time our kids are waking up, we've already done a two or three hour long run and we're tired for the rest of the day, or we're traveling to race. And, um, and then obviously the exhaustion because you're pulled in so many different directions and, um, burnout. And I mean, he, he has documented, um, you know, extensively about his sudden onset of OCD and, treatment that he went into so I would say you know like I didn't I didn't experience that but I definitely probably was on the level of um like the biggest emotional breakdown I've ever had so yeah when I read that I I mean I think the text I sent to Eric was I said something like I think this is literally what I've been suffering from from fort for 40 years but for sure the last 15 Mm -hmm. (laughs) so um that
2: was almost exactly what you sent to me
1: yeah I just, I, when I read it, I felt like, oh my gosh, somebody sees me Hmm. and I hesitate. I mean, I say this with most, with almost hundred percent certainty, but also he did coin that term, right? That is his term.
0: I I actually was going to ask you the same question. (laughs) (laughs) I think he did. I think he did because he, he, the, the, the quote he has in
2: the book is I've come to call this heroic individualism. Okay. Okay.
1: So I think for me, just putting a name, I don't, and listen, you know, it could have been some kid could have come up with that name, but putting a name to all of that felt um, like somebody was like hearing me or seeing me or yeah. knowing me.
0: Yeah, Being seen is so, important. Yeah, um, there you have, go. Have, have, And having a, having a diagnosis is important. Um, you know, uh, uh, having somebody articulate What it is that that you are not only articulate what it is that you're feeling, but also saying that this is a common thing and that you shouldn't feel bad about it and there's a potential
1: solution to it. Right. So I I think that's the the important part of the book. And I think, George, that's kind of where you got off on the wrong foot a little bit, dare I say, because I like that Brad doesn't, he doesn't come back and say, like, don't shoot for the stars. Don't go after those goals that everybody else says are impossible. You know, don't try to get that promotion at your job, but try to do it all starting, you know, take a step back, accept where you are, and then kind of shoot for the stars, go get whatever that next goal is that you're chasing, but do it from a place of groundedness. And then the rest of the book is describing how to become grounded, basically.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think you're right.
1: Like he's not he's not demeaning people who are like this or who have lofty goals or want the over and above. He's just trying to give like another pathway kind of to get there. I think than the one that we all think that we need to follow. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: the, The reason why I got off on the wrong foot with me is because he told multiple stories about multiple people who had achieved what they had achieved via heroic individualism. They, they, they were people who, if you will, suffer from heroic individualism, people who have been super driven and not a balanced people and in no way grounded. And then they had this sort of epiphany moment in their 40s and said, oh, wait, I need to, to back off and, and start paying more attention to, to meaningful things in life. Um, and so to me, it felt it felt at worst hypocritical for him to say heroic individualism is as bad. Look at all these pe- accomplished people who accomplish things through heroic individualism and let them tell you why heroic individualism is bad. And so I don't, I don't, I, I think his critique of, of Western culture and how it, it can nurture this sort of drive and this idea that more is always better and, and that you, you can be and you're supposed to be and you should be all things and that if you're not you feel guilty i don't i agree with actually that that critique and now agreeing with that critique is is there's another fold to that that we'll talk about in just a little while here but i just did the reason why it rubbed me the wrong way initially was just because he seemed to be simultaneously praising heroic individuals and and demonizing heroic individualism you see what i mean i I can agree with that
2: And I think one of the, one of the things about this book is I was coming off of a really good book that I really liked. And it took me a while to get into this because I really didn't want to read a serious book that kind of comes (laughs) across as a self-help book, Mm. you know? So I, I actually delayed getting started in this book for that. But as I read through the book, I noticed something and I'm going to take the topic of the book out. Something that he did in this book that I think everybody should, everybody should think about when they look at a book like this and specifically this book, he wrote it in a really cool and, um, and I'd say a well thought out manner, unless you're just not really self-aware at all, or you're just that half a percent of people. Well, I'll say a 10th of a percent of people who get this and already got it, or um, you totally get it, but you're just not ready to do, do any of the things he says in here unless you're in those three groups of people this book will impact you and you'll get into it because he writes it from multiple perspectives of look this is what happened to me a very personal thing he throws in vignettes of other people so that if you're not like him if you're if you're
0: say a running mother These vignettes, my mother runner, a mother runner, which is how I'm going to get Michelle to introduce herself from now on (laughs) on on the podcast.
2: (laughs) So but those vignettes might pull you in if you're a C-suite person, those vignettes might pull you in. But then he also does a historical look, you know, uh, how Buddhism, Taoism, these other um, ideas get pulled in. So maybe that's your thing. And then he does a research based look at it and says this is what the research says and i was really impressed with that because you might not want to hear about buddhism taoism you might not care about the vignettes but the research is really cool and impactful and the way he writes the book he doesn't you know list each one and kind of like tick through them he mixes it together and you're constantly looking okay well what he's gonna throw a vignette in here in a second or where's the, what does the research say? And then that, that comes in. And I thought it was just a really cool way of writing a book. And after I got
0: through the first chapter, I was hooked. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and I think that he did that and i enjoyed some of that as well um and i had mentioned a few months ago when we were talking about the book that he had he had referenced some stoics and that that inspired me to go back oh, and, yes, and definitely and read uh some marcus aurelius that i hadn't read since college and i enjoyed that even though it hits much different as a 40 something year old a 47 year old than it did as a 19 year old um but um but i i think that that he did that in part in large part not only because those are things that helped him think through it and to articulate it, but also because that was him trying to say, this isn't just my experience. This isn't just what I think. And because it worked for me, it can also work for you. That that was sort of a, a tool by which he could say, lots of other people have said this. There's research that demonstrates this. There are various philosophical and religious traditions that also reflect these ideas. Um, so that, that somebody like me um, won't look at it and say, well, I'm not Brad Stolberg. That's not necessarily going to work for me, but I'm glad it worked for you, Brad. Um, and so I, I think they did that. I think it's a really difficult needle to thread. Um, I think it's really, really hard to write a book like this um, and to use those personal vignettes. And even if you are still talking about Um, anxious religious uh, traditions or or philosophical schools of thought, it's still really difficult to not make it sound like, well, this was just kind of your experience and the way that it works for me might be a little bit different. Um, I might have appreciated a couple more disclaimers there along the way um, that that this is what worked for him and this is what works for the people that he knows and some of the people he knows, but it might not work for everybody. I might have appreciated a couple more disclaimers, but I still thought there was value in the book but I think he's clear through the book and we'll get into what he actually talks about that.
2: If this doesn't work for you, try this, Mm -hmm. maybe this isn't your approach, but, Mm -hmm. but think about this. I think he does that as he goes through the book. And I, I think that's a great way to capture a big audience. And again, if this doesn't apply to you, I'm surprised.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's um, well, so let's talk about, I mean, the, the, idea of heroic individualism like we said he departs from that and he basically says this is a phenomenon of western culture um it's something that we are nurtured to be um, by virtue of our surroundings by virtue of our environment um and and he says okay so if we want to get out of this heroic individualism still achieve things but yet be grounded be centered get away from those should statements that, that Michelle was talking about before. Um, I should be here. I should be doing this thing. I should be doing that thing. Um, there are six suggestions he makes to how to go about doing that. So um, Michelle, you want to start taking us through those?
1: Sure. Um, I just I just want to reiterate really quickly that I think one of the genius points of the book is that he really takes a little bit from everything from like traditional faith-based system you know judaism christianity all the way like taoism buddhism stoicism i mean a lot of the we've talked about it before like the stoic type of stuff he's weaving it all together so like eric said it's kind of hard you know to get into this book and not like it's just there's this is everything (laughs) in a sense so i feel like a lot of people that have read it have been pretty receptive to it but um there's six principles
0: let me let me let me interject one quick thing sure um I, I would suggest that, that and this is for both of you, and I'm saying it out loud for myself and I'm saying it for anybody else who's reads it, too. If you see an idea in this book that you think is interesting, I would encourage you to actually go to the source material and read that yourself. Um, because sure. what you take from it might be a little bit different from something that Brad Stolberg takes from it. Because um, there, there were definitely a couple of times when he mentioned something, I was like, that's not what that is. Um, and, and so so. Um, I think it's fine, um, and 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 I'm not I'm not going to criticize his interpretations of Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus or whoever. Um, but I am saying that that if you if you if there was a school of thought that he mentioned over and over again, you're like, that's cool. I do I do encourage you to look at his his suggested reading list in the back of it, um, and uh, and and grab yourself a couple of books to to continue your your deeper thinking on these types of issues. But go ahead with the steps there, Michelle.
1: Sure. Um, so the six principles, the first is accept where you are. The second is be present so you can own your attention and energy. The third is be patient and you'll get there faster. The fourth <laughs> is embrace vulnerability to develop genuine strength and confidence. The fifth is to build deep community. And the sixth is to move your body in order to ground your mind. I think the one you know that speaks the most to me is um he talks a lot about, you know, this isn't exactly like one of the principles, but it's more the approach of you um you have to get going in order to give yourself a chance to feel better. Like you're not going to just feel better and then kind of get going. Um, so for me, that was that was basically huge and That was really just for at the time that I was reading this more about a lot about like the acceptance of where I was at that point, Um, but I really did feel like literally physically getting going again, you know, getting back to like a daily routine waking up early, you know, going for a run going for a swim and can you believe I just said that? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, I literally had to just get going, get back to life in order to give myself a chance to to kind of feel better again. So I just, the one that I, so that's the one that I feel the most um, like connected to, but the one that I want to uh, like practice and and kind of be able to execute better is the be patient and you'll get there faster. Mm -hmm. Um, I am not patient. (laughs) Like there is no, like on a sliding scale of, you know, zero to five for that. And maybe in like a one and a half and on my best days, like I might hit a 2.75 or three. So, so that to me is I, there is enough evidence that, you know, out there, both in his books and other, other, you know, other stories that have been told and, Um, situations I've been a part of where that just is that's the one that I feel like the most compelled to work on so Mm -hmm.
0: yeah to me I felt like the the second and the third one the second one was be present and sort of stay in the moment and then the third one was be patient Um, I felt like those two went together Um, and and you know if if we if we want to use you know the metaphor of running Um, we certainly can because you can't get fit. You can't get ready for a marathon in a day or in a week. Um, you have to do the workout that's in front of you, um, get it done, do it to the best of your ability, accomplish whatever the goals of the workout are, um, and then wait until tomorrow and then do it again. Um, and steadily over time, over the course of weeks and months and even years, you'll eventually get to, to whatever it is you want to do. Um, and so, so I feel like those two kind of go together. Um, I think that that um, in there, um, you know you're talking about getting going. We talked about that on the podcast a couple of years ago about how right now research in motivational psychology is sort of flipping that it had always been that you get motivated and then you act um, and and now we're beginning to to recognize that you act and then motivation actually comes later on um, and I think a lot of people you know, to your point, they kind of sit back um, and wait to get motivated or try tricks to get themselves motivated or listen to music to get themselves motivated and then expect the action to follow. And, you know, to, to borrow from Nike's phrase from the 1980s, you, you don't wait for that, you just do it. And then ultimately the motivation follows the action. Um, so, so yeah, if, I, I think the way it ties into what he wrote is that if you sort of sit back and think about where you should be, and where you want to be really, really far from now. And, and where, what, what your big, huge lofty, perhaps impossibly high goal is you're never going to get there. You actually just need to go ahead and get started on it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Eric, which of the steps stood out to you the most?
2: So this is what was really interesting about this. And I I guess I would say be present was number one. Hmm. And, um, I think the patient and vulnerability ones were number two and three for me. So the, the be present, one of the things that set me up for this year, we we talk about Michelle kind of being primed for the book by what was going on in her life. And definitely I agree with that. What's funny was the be present one though. I had just watched that Netflix movie, uh, the social dilemma and the social dilemma is, a large part of it is about us getting caught up in all these social network tools and getting caught in rabbit holes and losing hours of our time watching TikTok videos or whatever. And I've always had an issue with those tools that are out there and I've tried to limit them. But after watching that, I turned my phone into a very quiet Mm -hmm. tool, Mm -hmm. no notifications, Um, it, it doesn't even ring. Um, unless it's my wife or one of my kids calling me, or, or my parents, uh, it's it's. I, I got all of that distraction out, and then in my work life, I said I'm checking my email once a day. Not I'm not doing the constant email check, and I I did a couple of other little things at work that I sort of picked up out of that. And my point is, when I read the be present part of this book, I was like, this is exactly. What I have just started working on, and I was so primed for it because I have found that during the day, I just don't look at my email and not picking up my phone and reading one or two messages at the end of the day I'm reading 52 messages that came through that are all very funny, but it's through our, our Blue Ridge relay chat group, they're all very funny, but it takes me about two minutes. Whereas throughout the day, had I checked those 52 minutes, those 52 messages, it probably would have taken 15 minutes of just picking up the phone and looking at all that. So I saw this like joining of those two, uh, those things, the social dilemma movie in the book. And I was like, man, this stuff is not only good, it works. And then he took it like two more levels. He made it deeper. And I was like, so it was kind of, I felt like that's really applicable. But I also felt like I was on track with that one. Like, okay, I'm, I'm figuring this one out. When I got to the be patient one, I felt like I was I was being talked to by one of my Navy captains and and, and or my high school running coach or uh, or my running friends, because they watched me do the I go through these cycles of just destroying myself, trying to get ready for something. And then I'm surprised that it doesn't turn out the way it should, you know, and, and I think I, I'm not a very patient person when it comes to. Uh, preparing for events, and just, you know, letting your body heal, letting my body heal, right. And honestly, that was one of the you it's know, one of my 2022 goals is rest more. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one hit me like a ton of bricks. And when I mentioned one of my captains back from the Navy, uh, I was in uh, Navy nuclear submarines, and I had this captain one time, and he said, Eric, slow is fast slow is fast and what he, he was must, he must have come it, from a swimming background because that's what they always say in swimming <laughs> I keep going yeah well well in our world it was if you screw up we're going to stop and we're going to have this big critique and it's going to take hours and hours and hours and then you're going to instead of saving that 15 minutes you would have saved it's going to take six hours or, or more to figure out what happened and then we get to go start over again so his thing was slow is fast. You won't make mistakes and you just keep getting to plug forward. Swimming is the same way. I agree, George, slow is fast, a good, strong stroke, a smooth stroke. The, the Olympic swimmers don't look frenetic when they're swimming. They look very smooth. So I think that really hit me. And it was a great time again, because I'm coming off an injury. I'm a little frustrated because I'm pushing myself too hard. And then we just talked about the beginning of the podcast I did not ride with you guys on Sunday because I knew it was the wrong thing to do. I went for a nice, relaxing run. I took Monday completely off. And Tuesday, I went and smashed that race. For me, that was a smash. And I needed that. I needed to see that, you know, performance level after really I hadn't run, I ran twice in two weeks because I needed to give my legs a break and I took, took a rest. So I, I was like, you know, I think that really aligns with that patience um, be patient and you'll get there faster. You
0: don't always have to be moving. So those two hit me. And then the vulnerability, you know, he, well, let, he, let, let's talk about, let's talk about that one. those, yeah, those please, That please. one first before we talk about the vulnerability one, because I, so I, I thought about this a lot as I was reading it, um, that, that this past fall, when I was running for office, um, I would get an email from a potential supporter or um, for somebody that wanted to, to ask me a question about some issue related to our school system or from a reporter that wanted to put a quotation for me in the newspaper or from a neighbor that wanted to sign in their yard. Um, and there was a degree to which I needed to, respond to those things quickly. Um, and, and if I didn't respond to those sorts of things quickly, then I was seen as, as apathetic um, or, or a slacker, or whatever it happens to be. Um, likewise, in my job, um, I a few years ago, I was sort of splitting responsibilities on this leadership position with another person who is a colleague that I really like a lot, but who is very task-oriented. Um, and that task oriented person, a lot of times would say, Hey, can you do this? And I'd say, sure. And I would work on it in a fairly deliberate fashion. And I would patiently wait for certain people to respond to me. And by the time I circled back around with her two or three days later, she would have already done it herself. And what ended up happening is that she ended up doing all of these various tasks and I ended up getting kind of frozen out of the leadership position and, and the narrative that surrounded it was that she was doing the whole job and that I was just kind of sitting back with the title. Um, and so my point in mentioning this is to say that that I think that there is very much inside of Western culture, and I agree with them on this, um, I think there is very much inside of Western culture this task, this lionization of task-orientedness, of getting things done, speed kills, move fast and break things was the, the, the Facebook motto, right? Um, and I agree with him on that. But to reject that means that, that you're going to be taking some risk here. So Eric, to your point, you said you're only checking email once a day. Um, there's probably people in your offices um, or, or there could be in other workplaces, it would be like, he only took Zema one time a day. Like, what's he doing over there? What's he slacking off with? Right. They would see that as a failure of job performance. Um, and so I think it's important when we're talking about this and I, and I think he's right uh, that, that we need to get away from these should statements. We need to focus on where we are. Um, we need to be patient, but I think we also need to recognize that we, we do live in Western culture. And so you can't just reject it entirely and now be a grounded person who is patient and in the moment. Um, you still have to respond to things and sometimes move quickly and, and be task oriented. Um, and so that was, that was one kind of critique that stood out to me the book. It doesn't compromise the book for me, but I just think it's more of a, of a overarching uh, critique of Western culture that he is in a position to make that not all of us are in a position to actually enact.
2: I think that's a good point. There are things that I have to react to and there are emails that come through that I probably should jump on more quickly. But I'll say this. If you really want to get in touch with somebody, you don't send them an email. Mm -hmm. You pick up the phone and you call them. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to, with certainly within my group, make it clear that like, if you really need to get in touch with me, you know how to do that, you know? And I'm just, I don't think email is that way to do that. So that's one example. Now, does that mean that everybody's doing that? No, does that mean that sometimes an email comes through that I need to react to? Yes. And it's all a spectrum too. You know, I say I check it once a day. I'm probably gonna end up checking it twice a day or so, but I'm not gonna do this where I have it up on the screen. Right. constantly and i don't have that notifying me every time a new email comes in and bling 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 there there's a there's a middle point there somewhere and
0: mm-hmm. i'm i'm still finding it i actually and I, and, I, and i like that i think that's very practical here. and i think that's probably the right thing to do it is and and maybe that's ultimately my point is is that you read this book you look at what it is he suggests and then you ultimately find ways to put these into practice in your life in the ways that you can, because yes. I don't think that any of us, um, and I dare say most of the people probably listen to this podcast. I don't think that any of us could basically just 100% implement exactly what he says tomorrow. I, I, oh. I don't, I don't think that could happen.
2: I don't think it right. would work.
0: I don't um, think he, I think it'd be impractical. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be impractical. And I think it, I think it would be potentially professionally dangerous (laughs) for some of us, you know,
2: I will touch on Um, something you said though. And it's in his division, in his definition of heroic individualism, he talks about the game of one upmanship against both yourself and others. mm -hmm. And what I, what I got out of that was everyone's, it's not just a competition against others like that's those are the clear ones that you see out there oh i'm you know i shouldn't be doing that but it's the beating up yourself over trying to be better than you were and you know as best as you can be and i'm not there i think that's actually more detrimental and those are the things that you have more control over like you can't i can't judge myself based on george because one, we're just two totally different people. And I can't I don't have any control over what you do. But those things about where I'm beating up myself, I think those are the ones that are more uh, damaging to you. And they're the ones that are more in your control. And I think it's really important thing to think about
0: as you go. That's a lens to look at these things as you go through the book. All right, two more quick things we're going to talk about. One is the vulnerability piece, and one is the accepting where you are piece. So, um, Eric, I know you want to talk about the vulnerability piece. Um, Michelle, do you have something to say about that? No. <laughs> <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> Michelle, and and actually, the reason why why I threw it to you with that, Michelle, is because I think one thing that that. Uh, A lot of folks appreciate about your Boston race report is that you made yourself very vulnerable on this podcast. Yeah, good for
1: vulnerability for a little while. I've met my quota.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, And and, and I think that that the people that you know and that know you in in the world outside of this podcast, and even the people that know you well from the world inside of this podcast, were impressed by how vulnerable you made yourself um, on that particular episode. I I was. I
1: appreciate the feedback. I know we got we got it from far and wide so thank you but um no i'm feeling like uh i did a bit of this so i'm good for now
0: (laughs) all right all right i wasn't asking yourself to make yourself vulnerable but but tell me do you think that that was do you think that that was a worthwhile thing to do do you think that 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 i mean that ultimately led you to a healthier place
1: what shocked me was just the response that we got about that like from people that i mean some people i know and some people i know well but most people i don't know very well so Um, I think that it was worth doing because it seems to have like reached a whole different range of people than, you know, if we just have a amazing interview or, you know, just a great episode, (laughs) Uh, this was like a whole other level of, of feedback that I got. And I think if, if anything, it, um, just for other people who had had a similar experience, I mean, sort of the same thing with the way that I felt like Brad was naming heroic individualism. You know, me talking about my experience in Boston was, um, I think everybody, you know, what I realized was a lot of people have a similar uh, a similar story for some point in their life, and maybe it's a marathon, maybe it's something different. But um, yeah, I guess I mean, I guess the opposite of of doing that would have been, uh, I mean, I think a core value for me is like authenticity, and a lot of that just flows in a way. so do I wish i had come back with this like amazing, you know, story and jolly and happy? Sure. But then if I didn't and I didn't talk about it, like, what am I doing here? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it was. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm OK. I think I, there's
2: a key there's a key that you added to this also that feedback and the, the next part of the book is about building deep community. Yeah. And I think in order to be vulnerable with some people, you have to build a deep connection. And I, I, you can't just, that's not to say every podcast listener you have a, a deep connection with, but I think you were open with George and I, you were open with others and that allowed you to share that story. But I think there's also that deep community thing that makes it
0: more possible
1: yeah sure.
0: and, I, and i wonder which is the cart and which is the horse i i wonder if if you're able to make yourself more vulnerable once you've established that community or if you're able to establish community um once you make yourself vulnerable um maybe it's not a cart and a horse maybe it's maybe it's just kind of both and um i mm-hmm. would i would dare say that he probably wouldn't suggest that these six steps are necessarily in order um that they're all interdependent um All right. So the last last one to talk about is is where he said, you know, acknowledging where you are and sort of letting go of should statements. Um, And this is something that I feel that that. I have to very much kind of keep in my head Um, and and it can sometimes be really, really, really difficult. Um, But, you know, wishing you were someplace else or saying that you should be someplace else or denying where you are or even rejecting where you currently are. That is not a good path for ultimately getting anywhere else um, or or for for um achieving more. Um and, and I appreciated that. One thing that I think that Eric, you might have even texted this to, to Michelle the other day. Um, but he mentioned the the Buddhist idea of don't let the same arrow hit you twice. I love um, that. <laughs> so so if you have this negative experience and this negative idea if you then respond to it with more negativity, you're letting the same arrow hit you twice. Um, that, that rather a negative experience happens or a negative thought happens and you accept it neutrally and then you deal with it uh, very soberly. Um, and, and that was something that I appreciated. Um, if you let it send you into a, a spiral, then you might be letting it hit you over and over and over and over and over, and over again. Um, yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah. If, um, if
2: I could make just one and maybe this is this is my final thought. I'll go ahead and say this might be my final thought because I, I don't want to take this too far. But there are other resources out there that touch on these same things. And, and this was another thing that primed me for this. And I'm always talking about other podcasts because I listen to them. But the Running Rogue podcast, uh, Chris McClung's podcast, episode 256, he talks about the Running Rogue way. And he has this, this, it's basically his philosophy, but it was, it killed me because I went back and I had taken notes on this when he was, when I was listening to this. And one of them was do the work, be consistent. And another one was miles matter. If you don't think that's patience, then I don't know what is patience. Um, Must go slow to go fast. He actually has those exact words in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another one was find strength in the team. And he talks about, you know, uh, basically being part of the team, not running just for yourself, but running for the team. And I I said to myself, these are, this is two thirds of what Stolberg is talking about in his
0: book. And this was Chris McClung's podcast. So I think there's other things out and, and, there. And he's he's speaking physiologically as well. And, yes. and so, so once again, proving that running is the all-time great metaphor for life. Yes, it is. And that would be my final thought. Thank you, George. That's a great final thought. Michelle, what's your final thought?
1: um thanks for reading the book <laughs> I feel like I lost uh maybe a little bit of well you told me my credibility was pretty low <laughs> now for books of the quarter so you know I think it was a, a switch in a genre for us but um it definitely sparked some great conversation along the way even if it frustrated George and Eric it took a while. No, <laughs>
0: I don't mind being frustrated at times I I, I like being challenged, um, I, I, I like being forced to think about things more deeply and, and to step outside of myself. Um, and so 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 I certainly don't mind that, even if sometimes it can be a little bit maddening. Um, so next week, this will be my final thought. uh, When we come back with you next week, we will let you know what our book of the quarter for the first quarter of 2022 is. We've discussed a few titles amongst ourselves, but we got to make sure that we are all on the same page. Um, So so be (laughs) sure to tune in for that. Michelle, thanks for being here.
1: All right. Have a good afternoon, guys.
0: You too. Eric, thanks for being here. Anytime, George. Enjoy it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ITLCoachingPerformance and on Instagram, ITLCoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, BluePineappleTravel.com, Facebook.com slash BluePineappleTravel and on Instagram, BluePineappleTravel. And finally, don't forget, we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's SlayRx.com, Facebook.com slash Here4SlayRx. That's the number 4, slayrx. Twitter at official slayrx and Instagram here for slayrx the number four slayrx discount code pleasant twenty one on behalf of Michelle Frank Patrick Ollinger and Eric Hall I'm George Darden thanks for listening to the most pleasant exhaustion podcast see you next time.